Well, the glorious incarnation of our blessed Lord Jesus Christ is a great mystery to our minds. It is something that even the greatest of theologians struggle to understand and comprehend how the Lord Jesus Christ could be fully God, but also fully man at the same time. It is something that has perplexed many great and wonderful minds. It is indeed a mystery. And Paul says that, writing to Timothy, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, that God was manifest in the flesh. Well, what a mystery it is. See, it's Spurgeon called it the mystery of humility, that God would take upon himself that real human nature, that real humanity. What a mystery it is that Christ could be fully God and fully man at the same time. And what a mystery it is that these two natures, the divine nature and the human nature, could coexist in one person at the same time without any trouble or conflict. Now we have to make this clear. The Lord Jesus Christ was not two people. He was one person with two distinct natures. You and I are one person and we have one nature. But the Lord Jesus Christ was one person with two natures, a divine nature and a human nature. The Westminster Confession of Faith says about Christ's two natures, so that, it says, so that two whole, perfect and distinct natures, the Godhead and the manhood, were inseparably joined together in one person without conversion, composition or confusion, which person is very God and very man, yet one Christ. Now this is something that is very difficult for our human minds to comprehend. And quite often, whenever we think of the person of Christ and his two natures, it leaves us with many questions. We can ask the question, was his humanity as real as our humanity? Some people think because he was fully God that his humanity was not as real as ours, that he didn't know uh, the, the depth of suffering that we go to, that he didn't know the extremities of temptation, that he didn't know sorrow in the way that we know sorrow. They seem to think that his humanity was in some way upheld by his divinity his divine nature but the answer is yes his humanity was as real as ours another question is they can ask as a babe in bethlehem's manger did the lord jesus christ cry did he know what it was whenever he was a babe was he that perfect child who never cried that perfect child who who didn't cry through the night but slept for those solid 15 hours um, people can sometimes uh, uh, give to Christ in his humanity essence of his divinity. And they could say because he was fully God and fully man in his humanity, he could never have cried as a baby. Well, there's nothing wrong with a baby crying. It's how a baby communicates. So the answer to that is yes, as a baby in Bethlehem's manger, the Lord Jesus Christ did cry 
And it was not a sin for him to cry. It was how he would have communicated. But it showed that he had a real humanity to cry in the same way that we did. Another question is, from the moment of his birth, did he know everything? Did he have in in his humanity, and of course in his divinity he knew everything, but in his humanity did he know everything from the moment of his birth? Well, if he knew everything from the moment of his birth, then it wouldn't have been a real humanity. I'll say more about this later. And there's other questions we'll come to answer. Could he have survived as a babe without intervention? If Mary didn't feed him, would he have survived? If she didn't look after him and nurture him, would he have lived to adulthood? Well, again, the answer is no, because, again, it's a real humanity. He needed fed, he needed watered, he needed cared for, and God gives that job to Mary. Did he hunger? Did he thirst? Did he feel pain? Did he experience sorrow? The answer to all of these, of course, is yes. In his humanity, he did all of these things in the same way we did. But we can go a bit deeper tonight. In his humanity, did his divine nature overrule his human nature? We can ask other questions. Did his divine nature teach his human nature? Or how did the Lord Jesus Christ know all the things that he knew? The truth is, we can never begin to really comprehend the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ unless we understand some truths about his humanity. And I don't want to be overly complicated here uh, tonight. I want to try and keep it as simple as possible. But I'm going to explain some simple truths about the person of Christ before we get into the main headings. Three things. First of all, Christ is fully God. He is fully God. He never lost and he never forfeited his divine nature. There was never a time when the Lord Jesus Christ stopped being the second person of the Trinity. He has always been the eternally begotten Son of God, and he always will be the eternally begotten Son of God. That has never changed, and it will never change. Secondly, Christ took to himself a real human nature, but he is not a human person. He never changed into a human person. He did not adopt a human person or a human personality independent of his divinity. He assumed a human nature in addition to his divine nature. He's not two persons. He's one person who had a divine nature, but he adopted a human nature to coexist along with his divine nature. Thirdly, in Christ, these two natures coexisted. After assuming a human nature, Christ was not only divine, but he was divine human, which is why we refer to him as the God-man. And he was that, and he is that today still, the God-man. He possesses all the essential qualities of both the human nature that we have and the divine nature of God. This means that Christ has a divine will and a human will. He has a divine consciousness 
and he has a human consciousness. But quite often in our thinking, and perhaps even in our preaching, we can fail to distinguish between these two natures. Not two separate persons, one person with two distinct natures. But in order for us to properly understand the life that Christ lived and the sufferings that he endured, it's important that we understand the authenticity of his humanity. So I'd like to speak about the real humanity of Christ tonight. And there's only two headings to leave with you uh, this evening. First of all, we're going to think of the genuineness of his humanity. And then secondly, we're going to look at the role of the Holy Spirit in his humanity. So first of all, the genuineness of his humanity. Now, the Roman Catholic Church, they follow the belief that the divine nature of Christ completely permeates the human nature. That there's sort of a blending of the divine nature and the human nature together. Rather than being two separate natures, they blend them together. But is this what scripture teaches? If this is the case, can his humanity really be considered a true humanity? Could Christ really have known what it was to sorrow like we sorrow if his divine nature blended with his human nature? Did he really know what it was to be tempted if his divine nature blended with his human nature and upheld him? Did he really know what it was to hunger and to thirst if his divine nature sustained him? Well, of course, we reject that view of the Roman Catholic Church. They are two distinct and separate natures, not blended together, not one upholding the other. So the first thing to note here is that Christ was a genuine man. He was acknowledged as a man throughout his ministry. 1 Timothy 2 verse 5, the Apostle Paul speaks of the man, Christ Jesus. So the Lord Jesus Christ was known as a real man. As he walked about earth, he didn't have some supernatural glow about him. People did not realize that this was God walking amongst them. In fact, his humanity was so real that they despised him for his real humanity. Rather than love him, rather than uh, revere him, they rejected him for having such a real human nature. They wanted a massive giant like King Saul to be their king. They didn't want the meek and the lowly son of a carpenter with his feeble frame and with his uh, lowly condition. No, he had a real humanity and it was acknowledged as a real humanity. The Lord Jesus Christ also had flesh and blood like you and I have. He had a body, he had bones, he had blood. Hebrews 2 verse 14 says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. The Lord Jesus Christ had a body exactly the same as you and me, well, without a few features being different. 
But everything about his humanity was real. He had the appendix, he had the tonsils, he had the kidneys. He had absolutely everything. It was not that he was a mere illusion. It's not that he was some sort of spiritual being. It was a real humanity. That is why whenever he was on the cross and they stuck the spear into his side, the blood and the water came flowing out. It is why whenever he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, those drops of blood could flow down the side of his head. He had a real humanity, a real body and real blood. As a genuine man, he was called the son of Mary. God could have sent his son into this world and he could have done it in such a way that he was without any earthly lineage. But he didn't do that. Giving Christ a real humanity means that he gave him a real mother, an earthly mother, to look after him. And in his humanity, Christ had an earthly mother. Luke 2 verse 7 says of Mary that she brought forth her firstborn son. He was acknowledged to be her son. And she was acknowledged to be his mother. In his humanity, he had the genuineness of, of an earthly mother to bring him into this world to care for him and to nurture him and to see him raised in the same way that you and I had that genuine motherly love and care and provision as well. But as a genuine man, he also had an earthly heritage. Romans 1 verse 3, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David, According to the flesh. Now we can trace our family tree uh, quite far back. Uh, my, grand, my paternal grandmother had a brother, if you can follow this, who was a historian and he was able to trace the, his uh, family roots all the way back to the Huguenots in France who escaped the persecution and came over uh, to Dublin and lived there in Grafton Street in Dublin and then moved up from Dublin to the north here. So we are able to trace our earthly heritage. It's part of our human nature. We're able to follow our line of succession back. The Lord Jesus Christ, as a real, or having a real humanity, was able to trace his earthly heritage back as well, and trace it not just all the way to David, but he could trace his all the way back to Adam. Now we know that we go back to Adam, But there's a lot of blank dots in between that we're not able to quite fill in. So in the genuineness of his humanity, he was a genuine man. But also, he had real physical needs as well. Just as you and I hunger, the Lord Jesus Christ hungered as well. We read earlier in Matthew 4 verse 2, And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he suffered with hunger, just as you and I would as well. And he thirsted, John nineteen twenty eight on the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ said, I thirst. So he knew what it was to hunger and to thirst. He also knew tiredness, John 4, verse 6. Now Jacob's well was there, Jesus therefore being wearied with his journey, sat thus in the well. He knew what it was to suffer from weariness through a busy day of walking and travelling. And he also 
knew what it was to weep. John 11 verse 35 at the grave of Lazarus it says that Jesus wept. So he had these real physical attributes. Just as you and I hunger and thirst and get tired and weep at times of mourning. So the Lord Jesus Christ did that as well. But he also had real human affections. The Lord Jesus Christ experienced love and joy, fear, sorrow and shame. All of these experiences that you and I have gone through, the Saviour has gone through them as well. In fact, as we chart his life, we will see that he has entered into all the experiences that we have. That is why the Apostle was able to say he is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Because he has been through them before us, yet without sin. Matthew 28, verse 26, verse 38, in Gethsemane. Then saith he unto them, that is the disciples, my soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. He knew what it was in his humanity to have that exceeding, exceedingly sorrowful soul. But we have to say that all of his affections were without sin. Or sorry, all of his, uh, yeah, all of his affections were without sin. He took our painful infirmities, but he didn't identify with our sinful infirmities. He didn't know what it was to be remorseful for sin, because, you, because he's never sinned and never had to be remorseful for it. He never knew what it was to have to repent of sin, because he never sinned and needed to repent of it. But in all his affections, <coughs> he was able to identify with us, except for the sinful infirmities. But also we can say his humanity was limited. His humanity was limited. He First of all he had to develop physically. He was born as that babe. In Bethlehem's manger. But he didn't stay as a babe. Like each of us. He continued to grow. And develop into adulthood. He knew what it was to be a weak. Uh, and feeble frail baby. Dependent upon his mother. But he also had to develop mentally as well. And this is one that's uh, greatly disputed today among some. But in Luke 22, Luke 2 verse 52, it says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. He increased. That tells us that he didn't know everything perfectly. It tells us that whenever he was a babe, his mind wasn't filled with every piece of knowledge that he needed to know. In his divine nature, he knew everything. But in his human nature, he didn't. That's why Luke says he increased in wisdom. If somebody has a perfect wisdom, they don't increase, do they? It's only those who need to increase. So in his humanity, Jesus had to learn. He had to learn to speak as a baby. He had to learn the different languages of Greek and Aramaic and Hebrew. He had to learn scripture in the same way that the boys and girls are taught to learn scripture as well. He had to develop. <clears throat> Not everything was revealed to him. Matthew twenty four thirty six. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my father only. 
So he was saying that even in his humanity, not everything had been revealed to him. In his divinity, of course he knew the hour. But in his humanity, he didn't. The Father hadn't revealed it to him. His real humanity caused him to walk by faith. The Lord Jesus Christ, in his humanity, had to live by faith as well. Just as we do. Hebrews 11 verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If he had the undertaking of the divine nature to impart faith, then his human nature didn't have any faith. But his human nature had to have faith in the same way that ours did as well. But also in heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ has not lost and he has not abandoned his human nature. Whenever he ascended there, he kept his human nature, and he still has it today. In heaven, our Savior is still the God-man. He still has it. One writer says, Our salvation depends on his humanity as much as it depends on his deity. We need one who has a perfect humanity to satisfy the law in our place. And that's what Christ did. To deny the real humanity of Christ is essentially to deny the Christian faith. 2 John 1 verse 7, For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. John says this is a deceiver and an antichrist. So the Lord Jesus Christ, the one that we read off in scripture, one person but two natures, fully God but also fully man. And knowing that he has that real humanity like we do. Knowing that he is able to identify with us and sympathize with us. Does that not encourage us that we have a sympathetic saviour? One who is able to succour and comfort his people. But secondly tonight, the role of the spirit in his humanity. And we can quite often neglect the role of the Holy Spirit in the humanity of Christ. Matthew 4 verse 1 we read earlier, then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness. Luke 4 verse 1, and Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit. Mark 1 verse 12, and immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. Now, the first thing to note is that the Holy Spirit enabled the humanity of Christ. The Spirit enabled the incarnation to take place. The virgin birth never could have happened without the working of the Holy Spirit. Our confession of faith says that Christ was conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Spirit was instrumental in seeing that Christ was in the womb of Mary But he was not um, conceived in the natural way uh, that the rest of us have been. The Spirit descended upon Christ like a dove at his baptism to enable him to perform his ministry. We read of that in Mark 1 verse 10. And straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opened and the Spirit like a dove descending Upon him. So there, John the Baptist saw the Holy Spirit come upon the Lord Jesus Christ 
to enable him to perform his ministry. Christ couldn't have started his ministry earlier, even if he wanted to, because the Holy Spirit had not yet equipped him to do that. And the Holy Spirit gave him power to minister. Luke 4 verse 12. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. Not in the power of himself in his humanity. But in the power of God the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit was not with Christ. Well his preaching would have been in vain. It would have had no impact. But what did the officers say to the chief priests in John seven forty six? They said, never man speak like this man. That was the power of the Spirit, applying the word that Christ preached. The Holy Spirit was Christ's inseparable companion. His inseparable companion. Isaiah 11 verse 2. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Well who is Isaiah speaking about? Speaking about Christ. That is who the spirit of the Lord rests upon. Upon Christ and upon him alone. Isaiah 42 verse 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold. Mine elect in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. Isaiah 61 verse 1. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord hath anointed me. To preach the good tidings unto the meek. So the spirit was with Christ. And in Christ. In all that he did. Again going back to the confession. Because it has some great teaching on this. Chapter 2 verse 3. Speaks of the unity of the Godhead. And A.A. Hodge comments that the Spirit is sent by, acts for, and reveals both the Father and the Son. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing in the life of Christ. Revealing him to be the eternally begotten Son of God. But we can also say that the Holy Spirit was the operator of the divine acts of Christ. And again, good men differ on this. But we can ask the question, how did Christ perform miracles? How did he do it? How did he have the power to raise the dead? How did he have the power to feed the 5,000? How did he have the power to give sight to the blind? His human nature couldn't do it. His divine nature could. So did his divine nature supplement his human nature and enable him to do it? Or was it through the Holy Spirit? Well, I take the view that it was through the Holy Spirit. If the divine attributes of Christ were communicated to his human nature by his divine nature, then the Holy Spirit is effectively redundant. If the divine nature helps his human nature to do the miracles, there's no place for the Holy Spirit. But the Bible clearly teaches us that everything Christ did, he did in the Spirit and by the Spirit. This teaching was the position of John Owen, and this is what he argued. He agreed with me, or or maybe I agreed with him. But he said, the Holy Spirit was the immediate operator of all the divine acts of the Son himself, even on his own human nature. 
Whatever the Son of God wrought in, by, or upon the human nature, he did it by the Holy Ghost, who is his Spirit. So Christ did not perform the miracles by his divine nature. The means by which he performed all his miracles was the power of the Holy Spirit. Mark 6 verse 5. It says and of Christ and he could there do no mighty works. Save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. Christ could not perform mighty works. If the Holy Spirit did not enable him. His human nature was entirely dependent upon the Holy Spirit to perform miracles. So Christ's divine nature, it didn't operate outside his human nature. Rather, the Holy Spirit mediated the divine will of the triune God upon the human nature of Christ. So what can we take away from this? Well, there are some lessons for us to learn about the relationship between Christ and the Holy Spirit. And hopefully this gives us clear light and understanding as we come to read our Bibles. First of all, uh, we learn that we have the promise of the Holy Spirit to be our help and aid, just as, it was, as he was for Christ. Acts 2 verse 33, Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth <clears throat> pardon me, he hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. We have the promise of the Spirit. If ye then being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? So we have the same help available to us from God the Holy Spirit. Secondly, the Spirit ministers to us. And that's what God the Holy Spirit does. Whenever we're born again, we're born again of the Spirit of God. And the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And God the Holy Spirit sanctifies us by making the word of God effectual in our hearts, convicting us as Convicting us of sin, showing us the paths of righteousness, showing us the direction that we ought to go in life, how we ought to flee from the wickedness of this world and cleave to Christ and all that is precious in him. Thirdly, the ongoing work of Christ is performed in believers by the Holy Spirit who is the vicar of Christ. Christ works in us by his Spirit. Yes, Christ is seated in heaven, but he has not left us comfortless. He has given us the comforter. In fact, he says, I will send you another comforter. He doesn't say, I will send you the comforter. Another comforter. Christ was the first comforter. The Holy Spirit is another comforter, identical to Christ. Christ sends us the Holy Spirit to perform the work of sanctification within us. And fourthly, Christ's humanity was dependent upon the Spirit. The question we have to ask ourselves is, are we dependent upon the Spirit in the same way that Christ was? Or do we try to get by on our own strength, on our own abilities, on the weak, feeble human frame that we are? 
Or are we trusting and looking to the Spirit, dependent upon him? Well, coming to a close tonight. Why do we stress the importance of the humanity of Christ? Why is it important? Well, it's important because the one who would be our saviour needed to be fully God, but he also needed to be fully man. And Christ was. His humanity was as real as yours and mine. He knew rejection from his brethren. He experienced grief. He knew betrayal. He suffered pain. He knew what it was to pray with intensity. He knew what it was to agonize in death. And he knew what it was to close his eyes in death as well. So his humanity was as real as yours and mine. In fact, we can say his was realer, if that's a word, because he experienced all of it. We haven't experienced all of it yet. But he has. And he's triumphed over it. Not just for himself, but for all of his people. For all of us. But why did Christ go through this? Why did he go to the bother, the hassle of taking a a real humanity? Of suffering in this world? Well, Titus 2 verse 14 tells us that Christ gave himself for us. That he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify us or and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Christ went to all this hassle and bother of taking a real humanity to redeem us. Dear friend, to redeem you because you are precious in his sight. Because he has a care and an interest and love for you. Because he wants you to be with him forever in heaven. Because he's not willing that you personally should perish. Had you been the only one who had ever sinned and wandered away from God, Christ still would have left heaven, taken that real humanity, taken your place upon the cross, because you are precious to him. So we should never think he doesn't care. We should never think that he's not interested in us or he's forgotten about us. The fact that he came to this world, taking that real human body and that real human nature, Shows that he cares. Shows that he loves. And the fact that he still has that human nature now. Where he's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Shows that he's able to identify with us. Even in our weakness and our sorrows this very day. Because he's a compassionate saviour. Who loves his people.